coming to get you, Barbara. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. But I'm trying, Rainbow. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Welcome back to Long Walk Talks. My name is David Hensley. I'm the owner and creative director of Long Walk Productions, and I am joined today, as always, by my co-hosts, Stan Wilson-Lee. Hello. And Chris Wilson-Barnes. A pleasure to be here. Say, could I interest either of you in a chocolate-covered pretzel? You absolutely cannot. Uh, We are going to be continuing our discussion of the filmography of Kevin Smith today with his second film, mall rats if you haven't caught up uh last month in january we discussed the film clerks and we're doing this hot off the heels of our year-long quentin tarantino quarantino discussion that we did in 2020 what a year that was so guys mall rats huh yeah <clears throat> what uh what an experience this was revisiting it after what had to have been uh, 18 years, probably. I first saw this film when I was 16 years old. Uh, as I've talked about on the podcast before, it's one of like the films that kicked off my passion for movies and movie making. Uh, Clerks and Mallrats. Yeah. I'm sorry. Clerks and Mallrats along with Reservoir Dogs and did Pulp Fiction. foreshadow? <laughs> I, God, I hope not. Not as subtly as Kevin did in this movie. Yeah. There is a huge difference between seeing this movie at 16 as a as a teenage boy and watching it again at 34 as a grown man. What uh, what are your initial thoughts before we jump into our discussion topics? Let's start with Stan. What what are your thoughts on Mallrats? Um we we've talked about this kind of ad nauseum, but the idea that uh it's definitely it's not a great movie in the sense of structure and soundness of a craft or whatever, but uh, um, it does set off a lot of his tropes officially, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin Smith's tropes and how he, um, his formula. And uh, um, and basically it, it's, we have it in Clerks, but this is really the, the foundation of, the power of Jay and Silent Bob. Oh yeah. So in the sense of that, and um, again, I'm a I'm a I like it better than I think you did. And oh I'm, yeah. <laughs> and I'm and I may have um, actually liked it better than I did the first time I saw it. it. It's definitely not in my top echelon. There's not as many Smith films, I don't think, in right. the view askew as there is in the Tarantino verse. So. Um, so th- to rank it at the bottom of this view askew verse, um, that's not a that's not very low in a sense, you know. Um, but uh, it's definitely not in my top three Kevin Smith films. But uh, but in the sense of what it starts, you know, and the foundations that it sets for the future of the view askew universe, uh, I think it's I think it's sound in that sense. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not great. But we do get Joy Lauren Adams, um, who yeah. is cute all the way for the rest of her Kevin Smith experiences. So, yeah, Chris, thoughts on Mallrats? It's a fun, deeply flawed movie. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. Yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, it is definitely a movie where Jay and Silent Bob came into their own as full characters and not just like a sideshow to cut to and mm-hmm. clerks. Yeah, they're show stealers. They are. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I went into this movie. Uh, we, we watched it again, me and uh, my wife, Katie and Chris, uh, last Saturday night. Um, and I had a I had a feeling, having not watched it since I was 16, I saw it for the first time at 16. I know I watched it once or twice more after that, but having been so long, I had a feeling this wasn't going to be what I remembered it to be. And my God, was it not? <laughs> there, is, there is the exact moment where you where you where you realize this is a live action cartoon, and that is the grappling hook escape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't even really know how to summarize the film. It's about two guys named. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Let's see what uh, what you can come up with. Well, uh, two other weird losers, not named Dante and Randall, um, run around a mall all day while after having been simultaneously dumped by their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff happens around them. Stuff happens. Yeah, hijinks ensue. Um, yeah, it's two guys go to a, two guys get dumped and go to the mall, and things happen around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I should point out we wa- when we watched this, we sat down and watched it. I, I <laughs> for uh, we we sat down and we watched the newly released Arrow uh, Blu-ray. Uh, uh, it's a special res, edition, yeah, high res special edition release. Uh, it didn't help matters. Completely, any. yeah, completely digitally restored. If you yeah. watch the special features, they're probably. We didn't. T- I tinted up a little bit. There is the, it has on it the original cut which we watched. It has the extended cut where they put in all the uh stuff that smith originally had in the up and in it that uh yeah in in the original version of the film there was a much different opening and there was a different through line throughout that explained a lot of ts's backstory yeah there was a much different subplot that yeah yeah in the movie um well let's kick off our actual discussion topics with the very top of the movie which is that weird animated the opening credit sequence that is everything wrong with 90s comic books in one montage (laughs) i mean all you have to do if you wanted to give somebody a dissertation on what was wrong with comic books in the 90s show them the opening credits of clerks i did not check but i am pretty sure that looked like from the styles and everything it looks like he got like people from like uh, image comics Mm -hmm. I know I saw a Liefeld in there. Yeah, it was Liefeldian for sure. Um, yeah, all the uh, overly muscled male characters, which if you've ever too seen... Too many lines. Yeah. If too you guys, many lines. If you have, listeners have ever seen that one particular uh, Captain America cover where he has just got this massive chest and shoulders and this tiny little pinhead, it's it's like that... Um, I think the only thing that was really missing from this opening montage was nobody had any pouches, Mm -mm. which became a staple of every superhero in the 90s. But it did have plenty of uh, lovingly drawn close ups of cleavage and butts for all of the female characters. Uh, You know, you were talking about how um, you, you know, you loved it at 16 and it was a foundation for you wanting to be a filmmaker and that it was an influence. They kind of open up the movie once they get to the mall talking about how we're kind of made for 16 year olds, you know, for this is a movie made for the 16 year old boys getting into their first rated R movie and stuff like that. And, and all the, all the talk about libido and stuff, it, 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 
you're going to relate to it at 16, you know, because your hormone hormones are going cr- as crazy as as uh, Brody's and TS's were. You know, but so. what's disconcerting to me about the movie, and this kind of carries over from Clerks as well, is yeah, you can expect that from a hormonal teenage boy. These characters are all in their college. early to mid twenties. <laughs> they talk about college. I know yeah. they they they're twenty two. It's not that far removed. Um, it's worth pointing out that this film takes place the day before. Uh, clerks does so keep that in mind when you look at how characters are dressed <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah any any thoughts on that opening credit sequence dan the animation you know i and i i maybe i i was kind of surprised that was a the opening topic um because it's I, only the opening topic because it was the first thing i wrote down chris can tell you that that montage started and i was like holy shit 90s <laughs> see i yeah, i think be, because i've never i've never really i and this is going to probably date me or make me you know really a horrible person but i've never i, I i've never been in that camp of you know it's like Ooh, wow! But but about I've always been part of the part of the demographic that comics have been written for. So it's like, um, but yeah, it's like now that we're talking about it, yeah, I can see that. But but I I don't I, I wasn't I wasn't as bothered, and I, I it didn't really hit me in any in any I didn't have any feels for it uh, about it after i saw it i just thought oh wow they're using the comics because it's about comic books right you know so so this isn't going to make for good podcasting since this is an audio format but i'm going to post this picture in the uh, comments on the long walk podcast facebook page for people to go and look if you've never seen this before this is the captain america cover that i'm referencing oh yeah Yeah. pet shelf yep yeah (laughs) people have have diagrammed the anatomy and how horrible it is yeah it's it's lee feld and it's just he has probably probably some of the worst idea of, of anatomy out of anyone who's ever drawn a person like it's like he got rib surgery but how surgery. successful was his run that's quite oh you know, he was like, very successful in the 90s yeah so but that's the problem with the 90s comics is like that's why i said too many lines people made a habit of uh <clears throat> excuse me using too many lines so that like things were over detailed and just kind of ugly <laughs> yeah i mean look at um early Todd McFarlane stuff, like the initial spawn runs and how overly muscled and constantly greasy looking uh, everyone was and just how exploitative the women were drawn. And we're talking about an industry where women are already drawn exploitatively. Uh, This just took that up to 11. It's really interesting because, you know, I, I, I'm growing up with like late sixties into early eighties comics. And then mm-hmm. there was a whole span of time. The nineties. Well, yeah, this, the nineties <clears throat> where I wasn't really reading comics. So it was like you guys came up and that was your prime time of comics is during this time, I guess we're talking about. So it's like, maybe, maybe I didn't ever have that. And, and yes, I mean, uh, Especially the women characters were drawn specifically, <laughs> yeah. In in my time, but it's like I never, I never really, that really didn't hit me until I started going more in depth with the creation of comics, and especially like when Image Comics and um, all the alternative comics, you know, and like Love and Rockets and stuff like that were coming out, and you know, and it's like okay, we're gonna we're going to make comments about the established folks you know it's like so 
um, that was when I first even got an inkling of, oh, there is major, <laughs> there's major controversy in the comics field. And uh, um, when I was in the comics, there was, you know, they were written for boys. You know? right. They were written for guys. You know, it's like it, guys were collecting, guys were reading, you know, and then, oh, shoot, we got, we have girls reading us now. So maybe we should be a little bit more attentive. And then, you know, and, and uh, it, so it's like, Yes, I admit I missed that. A whole decade. That well, that decade, and but the aspect of you know I should be more sensitive to this. Yes. So if 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 that's if that's an issue that I I apologize for not being. Uh, it's nothing to apologize nothing to, for. Yeah, it's nothing even like kinda, that. There's there's plenty of good stuff that happened in the '90s, yeah. but I mean th- this unfortunately doesn't really show it off all that much there's a no. there's a reason that the phrase grim and gritty got coined in the 90s yeah um uh, everything well i mean that really kicked off in the 80s but everything had to be darker and grittier <laughs> um chris what are your thoughts on that animated opening montage i i wasn't i, I just i wasn't like for all the reasons you said i wasn't really a fan it just kind of highlighted the the things that i did not enjoy seeing in 90s comics yeah um and honestly, thinking about it, the Stan Lee cover should have been a throwback. Yeah, realistically. I mean, honestly, just from a terms of what I would have liked to have seen. Yeah. Eh, other than that, I mean, it's just... I, I That's the first time I really ever saw the opening because I only... Before I bought it on DVD, and I didn't watch it much after that. As I, When I caught it on TV, I never saw the opening. Right. All right, well, we're going to move on to our second topic, which is the two main characters of this film... Uh, T.S. and Brody, Dante and Randall 2.0. <laughs> like this, these are the exact same characters, basically. Just you put them in. I was gonna say I put them in a different profession, but we don't even know what the hell their profession is. What What was stopping Smith from just making this film about another day in the life of Dante and Randall? I don't know. I mean, I will say one thing about. Kevin Smith's characters. I kind of touched on it last last episode. Was I like the way he characterizes people, where they have they they come off as fully characterized, and he's he's fine with you not liking them immediately. You mm-hmm. don't you don't feel like you have to. Like it's never pounded over your head as like just because they're the protagonists, you need to be in love with them. You're right. They're because they had they their their flaws are on display, but to to its detriment. Especially when it when it should have been the time that you turned a corner, especially on Brody, he didn't soften them quick enough. No, or <laughs> so, at all, really. No, no. Well, here's the thing with Brody, he had that Randall esque uh, anger, abrasiveness, abrasiveness within him. He displayed it. He displayed more care about things in his in in that vein early on when he's complaining about the kid on the escalator. Um, that fucking I mean, kid is back on the escalator again. I mean, he, and you can kind of excuse it because he's in that age range where it's like you don't know how to approach someone with tact. Mm-hmm. You're 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 more likely to yell about it like Brody does instead of saying, "Hey, you want to be careful. Your kid could get caught on the escalator sitting on it like that." But no, he spends the whole scene looking at the kid on the escalator and just yelling about it. Yeah. Uh, Stan, thoughts on T.S. and Brody and how similar they are to Dante and Randall? Well, I guess, and and I don't know how, I'm assuming Smith knew this, but um, 
but these are supposed to be different characters because it's the day before Clerks, right? Or is right. at the time I this mean, was made, he probably didn't have that inkling, right? Or, oh no, did he... I, I think the the references that are made, and we'll talk about this more when we get to it, because I, I dedicated a whole a whole topic to it. Um, but yeah, I think it was definitely purposeful. Okay, that he knew that there was a chronology here. Uh, so and and so I think he wanted to he you know he did the the slacker stuff with clerks i i just did air quotes which meant nothing um uh he just he did the slacker with clerks um so now he's going to college kids you Mm -hmm. know um and uh somebody that is actively pursuing an after college or supposed to be you know because i guess he was studying like economic theory and stuff like that who t.s T.S. was is really yeah he, I got he no kind of, inclination I have no idea at, at the end of the at the end of the film before you know um, uh, Brody's like talking talking about what's great about T.S. you know and he's like he's he's like an economic major you know um, oh I missed that entirely economic, economic philosophy you know so it's like um, again a career that's probably not going to have practical aspects but the idea that he was all ready to take uh what's her face to to get married brandy to brandy to get married and um uh at at universal studio so obviously he's has a an idea of his mm-hmm. future right and that he's going to be able to take care of her and stuff like that so there's a sense that he has an an idea of what would be accomplishment it's uh, where you know where dante um went to school and then dropped out you know, and doesn't really have a path, even though he's supposed to be, you know, fairly. And and then that's it's like, yes, we may not. They are still smartly written for the most part, though. Um, they're uh, uh, they're they're not dumb people. Um, no, not dumb. Um, they're not dumb like the security guard. But Brody is, is an assertive man like child. Michael Rookies. Yes, yes, I agree with <laughs> you that he's got that man child stuff that um, that uh. uh what's his face did um randall did um but they 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 know shit and um but they don't know how to take care of shit i think Uh, it's very interesting these two characters coming off of the heels of clerks in which dante and randall both have day jobs mm -hmm. and they both work for a living to some degree as yeah as unreliable as they are they are Capable of holding some sort of responsibility. Right. And capable of having serious discussions. You go from that to T.S. and Brody, who, if there was a mention of what T.S. does or studied in the movie, I have no idea what it is. Brody apparently does nothing but play video games and read comics. I don't think there's a single mention of what Brody was. If he went to school, if he has a job, I don't know. It's hey, hey, like, hey, he also played hockey on Sega. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to tie it in with the hockey on the roof. <laughs> um, but just to to go from, I, I can see like one kind of slacker to a completely different kind of slacker, but still, I just can't help but wonder, why wasn't it just Dante and Randall? The question that's going to haunt me. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it just bothered me that so early on, it's like, oh, this is just like if Dante and Randall had a day off. I guess he wanted similar characters, but in different 
circles, like cultural circles. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, not, not well in in terms of like uh, what their what their social scene is, because you know. Dante and Randall are the guys who are they're similar in age to them but they're in different worlds cuz they basically do work and don't bother with school and then there's like you know that whole that whole sort of different structure when you're still in college. Yeah. I guess but yeah, you're right. I mean, considering how he wrote them it, there's not a, there's not too much of a difference and it's kind of surprising those four characters never see each other. All right. If I had a if I had a question about that it's like which is either worse or more interesting is that uh, we'll, 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 we'll make T.S. and Dante kind of the same character. I mean, kind of, yeah. Because uh, Brody and Randall uh, are the who, abrasive, loud ones. Dante has this weird um, non-committal idea about commitment and, mm-hmm. you know, and... He's non-committal about commitment. About commitment, where yeah. where T.S. Ha, has this strong idea. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he knows he wants and, to be with Brandy. He knows he wants to be with Brandy, and there's no, there's no, there's really the only person that could even approach Brandy for him is um, Gwen. Is, yeah, it's Gwen, and and he's already been with Gwen, mm-hmm. um, and they and he knows that they're done. That'll never happen. Blah 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 blah. But the idea that so he has no so who is more interesting to write about? And this this is my question: is that are they not the same because he wanted to rewrite that kind of relationship where where T S his conflict is not about you know do I want to be with her? Do I? It's like he knows who. I, so the conflict is how he's going to get her back. Yeah, the conflicts I will say in this movie are much more clearly defined. Their girlfriends broke up with them. They want their girlfriends back. They're somehow going to do that through spending a day at the it's mall. It's pretty monogamous if you think about it. Yeah, whereas... Funny enough, um, Brandy broke up with T.S. because he she didn't feel he was... Sensitive, sensitive enough. Sensitive enough. Um, About and, a death uh, that he may have caused... <laughs> And who, who, who was Brody? What was the Renee. name? Renee. Renee. Renee breaks up with Brody because she wants to be treated like a person. Right. <laughs> what, like, what a monster for wanting the bare mo- a minimum of respect from to her boyfriend. To meet his mom. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. for, for some reason, Brody felt he needed to hide her. <laughs> right. And not to mention and it's that, Shannon Doherty. Why would he need to die? Right. Not to mention there's the whole discussion of how he farted while she was going down <laughs> on him. Um. Yeah, I can kind of see in that in the relationship aspect how T.S. and Dante are polar opposites. Now that you bring that up, still like we in and, the and same I, way. I agree with you that um, uh, Randall and uh, that Randall and um, uh, uh, Brody are pretty much the same, and are in fact implied to be cousins. Yes, and implied to be cousins. Yes, um, but. Uh, but I still think Brody still has a thing more of a strong sense of if I'm with somebody, I'm with them. Mm-hmm. Even even though he might not, and and uh, I wanted to call her Shannon Dor in uh, Renee's eyes that he's treating her like she should be treated. But the I, but she is who he's with, and that's who he's with. So there's not a sense of. Well, I could be with somebody else, you know. It's like or it's like you know I don't need you. It's like no. He, he's chosen her and the thing that he's chosen, you know, he wants to be with, you know, it's like, so in that sense, I think he's a little bit more mature than Randall might be. But, but I agree with you that 
they are uh, because the movie when we first meet Randall, it's loud. I mean, when we first meet Brody, Brody, it's loud. That the movie starts out really loud, and and so it's like you got the loud argument between T.S. and uh, Renee, uh, Br- Bro- uh, Brandy. Brandy, yeah, and, too and, many character names. And there's and two then, two main characters that have a bra starting. This. <laughs> Brody, Brandy, and then we get the uh, Brody some, Renee. Well, oh, there's up. some subtext there to get into. Right. And poor Shannon Doherty, she had to spend the movie yelling at her the highest pitch of her voice. You know, and whole lines, not just, you know, screaming, but having to say whole Having to be speeches. the voice of reason for these, all yeah. of these fucking and, morons. Yeah. It had to be really loud. So that's what, I, you know, it's like, did you need to write everybody so loud at the beginning? <laughs> but it did catch us. We do get attention. Well, Brandy, I'm sorry, Renee is sort of the Veronica of this film. In that she is the voice of reason and she's the only fucking sane person. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, that's debatable considering, I mean, she points it out, how much she put up with in her relationship with Brody. Yeah, that's a good point. Is she the, and I don't know if we got, but Gwen, I think, I th- do you not be- I don't think, think we find out enough about Gwen. I mean, for fuck's sake, fuck's sake, she is trying on panties in Gwen's the middle of, of a nuts. store. But because of right, Bob but crashing still, through like, who's three going, of her dressing rooms. What? person she's, is going to stand she's in, nice but she's nuts yeah what so? person is going to stand yeah. in the middle of a boutique trying on panties but i, I think i guess the germane point here is dante and randall their problems were all existentially driven yeah, whereas yeah. for the most smart most part ts and uh brody their problems are a little bit more grounded they yes i yeah. I, I, th- I think they're definitely more reality based and i Until think th- and, I, and i think that's that's Mostly on purpose, considering the insane hijinks going on around them. Right. Yeah, right. Right. Now, if I can start pronouncing words properly tonight, we'll be off to a great start. <laughs> oh, the end. Oh. Yep. So we are going to move on to our third discussion topic. If I can get my phone here unlocked. Um, oh, yeah. This is going to be a short one. Just a, a note that I wrote down while watching it. What was up with that fucking magical soundproof elevator that Renee and Brody banged in after screaming at each other while T.S. and Shannon were standing outside. On top of the fact that he shouldn't have had the ability to stop that elevator. Right. Anybody should have been able to press the up button and open it up and see them having sex. Was it implied that it had moved a little and then he stopped it? So it, it's where it never it's went and they got it. Right? Never, it never went. He, he The doors closed and he like locked it somehow. Yeah. yeah. And if that's the case, then... Um, it, it was either the quietest sex ever, but they it had wasn't. a whole. They had wasn't. They had like a super heated argument. Yeah, exactly. They are sh- uh, screaming at each other right before they have sex. Yeah. So maybe it's soundproof. Yeah. It, it's so a what's recording up with studio. That? It has to be because <laughs> I've stood outside many an elevator. There's an elevator we use at work. Mm-hmm. If you speak loud enough, you can hear through it. Yeah. Exactly. I was just so out of all the weird shit that happened in this movie. For some reason, it was the weird soundproof elevator that made me stop and go, wait, what is happening here? And there was a crowd outside that elevator by the time <laughs> right. they were done. Right. The crowd should have been there because it's like, wow, there are two people having sex in there. Can't you hear them? That's all. I'm betting I'm betting that's also a major reason why most elevators in places like malls today are like glad you mm-hmm. can see them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that's the entirety of that topic. I just want to discuss <laughs> the weird, magical soundproof elevator. 
It, so it did. It, I mean, there's a lot of contrived moments in this movie. And, there and are. That, that is probably the most. I told. Of the contri- I told Dave. It's like watching this. It's like it's not. I'm sure it wasn't the first at this point. Of course, it wasn't the first, but it was very much. It's it's very much almost the prime example of of wacky. Hijinks, uh, wacky hijinks in X place in a night yeah. like '90s movie. Yeah, right. It's it's very yeah. It's very specifically. I've seen worse versions of this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's a. I've seen better versions of it too. It's it's a John Hughes film yeah. if you think about it. Uh, but John Hughes was a lot more non-contrived. <laughs> right, and um, John Hughes usually had something to say in his films. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we have talked about this on here before plenty of times that I don't really feel like a movie ever really needs to have a moral or be trying to say something in order to tell a good story. But if you pressed me to tell you what the hell Mallrats was actually about, I don't know. Like, you could call Clerks the plight of the working man. It's Mallrats is consumerism and selfishness. Kind of, but, I mean, it is. it is at its heart about... Um, Brody and TS get dumped, so they they go to basically try and feel better, like just basically like lift their spirits by just going and hanging out at the mall like they normally do. But and okay, well, I'll get there in a second. Um, but for some, but you know, uh, Brody spots Renee, and TS realizes that this uh, hit Brandy's dad, Mister Sphinx, is the game show he's producing is going to be at the mall mm-hmm. shooting their pilot. So it's so. Amidst everything else, they're also trying to work on ways to, you know, win back the respective their respective loves. Um, TSS has to be more grandiose because it's because it has to be do with work getting around the fact that Mister Sphinx is actively trying to sabotage them. A, po- a point that he made in the opening that I don't think Brandy well Brandy wasn't paying attention to because that's her dad, so right. she's not receptive to the idea that he doesn't like their relationship. And and because T.S. is that lovelorn, hopeless romantic archetype, right? While uh, also being a man child, right? Which brings me back to the to the to the opening, which um, Brandy uh, ends up breaking up with T.S. because he doesn't care. He doesn't really give a shit that Julie Dwyer died <laughs> because they're about to go on their Florida trip. But Brandy agreed to. She was, but Julie Dwyer was going to be on the pilot of the the ga- the dating show that Svennings was was producing. Mm-hmm. So she agreed to step in. And be the girl on the mm-hmm. show, and because TS is saying it's like, oh, it's a, we, we're supposed to go on our trip today. She gets upset that she, that he's insensitive about it and breaks up with him. So when he gets to the mall and finds out that the sh- game show is happening there, which I'm sorry, <laughs> they knew the e- okay. They 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 ask what's that, what are they building over there regarding the set. And they say, oh, maybe that's where the Easter Bunny is. But the fact that they knew the Easter Bunny had already been there and was getting pictures done with kids, and it had to have been, if it was coming up for Easter, that Easter Bunny had to have been there at least a week ahead of time. I'm sorry. <laughs> they're just so fucking they're just so fucking oblivious. Like, the, the plot made them so fucking oblivious about the idea that he didn't know where the game show was happening. This is the hill that you've chosen to die on? <laughs> it's gonna, yeah. It, it's one of the things that bothered me more than anything else. And he didn't realize that's where the game show was going to fucking be. I mean, that's fair. That That's the sort of thing that, like, if they're shooting a pilot for a TV show that a local person is producing in in this town, that shit's going to be on the paper. Or, I mean, in the paper. It's going to be on the news. Local pilot shooting at this yeah. mall. 
And you'd especially know it if you're dating the daughter of the man producing it. Right. And I suppose that could speak to just like you were saying, how oblivious TS is. Or it could just speak to bad writing. Who knows? A kind of both, it feels like. So it was shortly after the magical um, soundproof elevator sex scene <laughs> that I was looking at my notes and watching the movie. And I just wrote down four words. This movie is terrible. I, it's not great. <laughs> no, it's not. And I was just like, holy shit, there was a point at my, in my life at which I liked this movie and recommended this to other people. I think you like the feeling of watching it. <laughs> yeah. Like I was talking, the, uh, a couple nights ago, we recorded an episode of This is a Takeover with Shelby Ray Patterson and Gina Belmont. And I was telling them about this and they're not really familiar with Kevin Smith. And I was like, you know, normally I would say watch it so that you could say you've seen it and form your own opinion on it especially if you like other kevin smith stuff no i don't think uh, in the oeuvre of kevin smith's filmography you don't need to see this one i think you need to see clerks to see where he started off at and uh, you know where he was grounded at you don't really need to see this one. You can skip over it and go straight to Chasing Amy. No, nah, but yeah, you're you're right because it's, there's not a lot of major plot points or plot threads from this that you. The only thing you'd be confused about is when Brody shows up in uh, Jay and Silent Bob uh, Strike Back. Right. Um, all right. So that was that was my number four note. This movie is terrible. Yeah, I mean. You only need to see Mallrats if you're a fan and want to be a completist. Yeah, essentially. That that, um, or if you're hosting a podcast about ho- Kevin Smith about Ke- about <laughs> Kevin Smith, you know. And it's like, um, and, and like I said, I liked it more at this point in my life than I did when I first saw it, mm-hmm. which is weird for me to say because that's usually not the case. Um, Definitely this, wasn't the case for me. This this would have been the movie I would like, you know. This would have been my hateful eight, right? For you, right? There. Um, uh, but I was surprised, and I dug it because I it and it, and you had told me this before, Chris, that it was more nostalgia that I was a, a taking bit. in, you know. And so it's like I and I, and I, say, I say that, that on my my behalf too. I I liked a lot of this, even though we'll talk about it later in that there was a lot of dated stuff and there is a lot of stuff that is questionable now. You guys remember malls? Um, And and there's definitely a lot of plot points that wouldn't fly today. Exactly. No, we'll talk. That's going to be our last discussion. But But, um, just to jump off of that real quick, I just wanted to say, I think there's a lot of good in the movie that he kept and there's a lot of good lessons he learned from this movie because he's admitted uh, that he took and, and used going forward. Yeah. But you mentioned it earlier, David, that the Jay and Silent Bob stuff it steals. I mean, it does. You want to get back to Jay and Silent Bob every time. And I think this is where, okay, we're going to see, go see a Kevin Smith film, but it's not because it's a Kevin Smith film. We're going to see what Jay and Silent Bob do this time. Right. Which is so weird because you could easily remove Jay and Silent Bob from this film and it would have zero effect on it. Exactly. And also, I mean, they're they're a pretty significant portion of the film. I don't have a single note here about the two of them or a discussion topic Mm -mm. about J.S. Silent Bob. No. They're just there. So it was around the time... Oh, God. It was around the time that I wrote, number four, this movie is terrible, that Katie looked at me and showed me her own note, 
which said, had Kevin Smith met a woman prior to the making of this movie? Now, on the one hand, obviously, Kevin Smith had met a woman. There's several of them in Clerks. <laughs> and he has a mother. But on who the other hand... a sister who works mm, who, who both were in Clerks. <laughs> on the other hand, had he ever spoken to a woman prior to this? <clears throat> because... The way I, I appreciate the way that Veronica is written in Clerks, I like her a lot as a character. Caitlin, not so much, but that's intentional. Like Caitlin, as a character, was not a good person. She was not good for Dante, and but she was smartly written for the to, most part. Yeah, for the most part, like it was intentional that you're not supposed to like Caitlin right. and you are supposed to like Veronica. And I get the feeling in this movie that you were supposed to like both Brandy and Renee. And to an extent, I do like Renee, but ah, the, some of the things that he wrote for them and some of the things that they have to say are so painful. This movie does not pass the Bechdel test. Oh no, (laughs) not, not even a little bit. I mean, even Gwen, Joey Lauren Adams, character contributes overall, nothing to the plot. Well, no, she, she, she serves there to, to tell uh, Brandy how great T.S. is. Yeah. Right. And, right. And she, she exists. come to terms with that. So does she? She, she does. I mean, we, ha- we have to, uh, we get to share that she has had, you know, even though she dealt with T.S. before and that she broke up with him and that she's had many affairs, it's like, but he is the one that got away. He is the good guy. And it's like, um and so we get to find that she has a history with him that she regrets not pursuing. And the, right. fa- and the fact that she's going to not to take him away from Brandy, but to influence Brandy and say, it's like, I had my opportunity. And if you allow him to get away, I might take that opportunity again. But the idea that she is using her experience with TS and it's like, really, he's the good one. And I let him I let him go. But maybe the fact that I let him go was meant so you could have him. So she didn't so that, much let him go as cheat on him constantly. But, but, right. Words, but, but right. I know what you mean. I know but what you mean. He, she does know that he is yeah. the well, good one and that, that Brandy shouldn't just like wish him away. Right. But also in saying that, like much like Jay and Silent Bob, you could remove Gwen from the movie entirely and it wouldn't make a difference. And also her entire purpose in the film exists. She exists to one show her boobs, uh, in one scene, be a punchline to a running silent Bob gag. Yeah. To be a punchline to a silent Bob, silent Bob gag. And then two, to espout the great qualities of the male character. T.S. Like she, that, that's the whole reason. Like she's there to tell Brandy about how great TS is to plant the idea in her head of getting back together with him. Those are not great qualities for a female character to have. But her stuff with with TS and Brody is to make sure they don't remain dinguses. So it's like she does have a moment there where she she, she gets with them, back with them, and this is this is one of the purposes for the whole changing you know, after her experiences in the dressing room with Silent Bob, you know, she's not going to deal with those perverts. She'd rather be out there with those two perverts because well, they've seen her before. Did you say perverts? <laughs> no, I, well, maybe. I will say, I will say mission <laughs> but, not accomplished because those two kind of remain dinguses. But, yeah. but the thing is, they did glean from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 
And then she, and because she doesn't admit to any of TS's good qualities while she's with them, those are reserved for, because she knows Brandy and, and TS, they're good together and they should remain, you know, and it's like, but when she's with TS, you know, she, she levels them. And, and I think the second we get to that point, when she meets up with them, that's when I, I think the film takes a turn. And I think those two characters, TS and Brody, take a turn to to the positive ending that they get to. So I, I think she has a point. And I, yes, it's not so blatant. I think, again, this is sophomore effort, you know. Yeah, how sophomore I, slump. How am I going to write this to make it's, it... It's fit. mostly to make sure Brandy um, has a turnaround at the same time T.S. goes and has his fortune read. I, I, so he has a turnaround. I agree, yeah. I agree. But 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 I really do think Gwen has an important point to play in this picture. So. I'm going to start introducing you on these episodes as uh, Stan the Devil's Advocate Lee. <laughs> yeah, but, she, <laughs> but I'm that, that makes her less character and more plot device. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's the only reason that Gwen exists in the film is as a plot device. Okay, uh, but but a plot device and TNA. But TS uh, and I, I, I mean, I think everybody besides TS and Brody are probably would be considered plot devices because it's to move their quest to regain their girlfriends along. You know, um, I think Renee might be a little bit more. Um, because of her involvement with Brody at the beginning, and, and then her involvement with Shannon in the toward, in the middle, and then you know, as part of the resolution. Yeah, we but, do need to address the Ben Affleck of it all here in a minute. But first, while we're we're talking so much about Gwen, I want to bring us back for a second and talk about the real unfortunate victim of this entire film. And that is that poor cashier in the boutique shop yes. that then has to handle and ring up the underwear that Gwen just tried on. If I was aware that a customer was putting on underwear and then taking it off in a store that I worked at and they brought it up to the register, I would not fucking touch it. I am not reaching over and picking up the panties that you just put on so I can ring them up for you. Is that is that the same cashier that gets caught at the at the counter when they're having that yelling match? Yes, it is. That poor I don't care if she thought it was beautiful. That I have been stuck in those situations oh, yeah. before. Where it's like I can't walk away and you're having this and this conversation in front of me. I don't want to be here. Well, she does run away, doesn't she? She, yeah. she cries. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, just like that. So we're going to move on from that. Uh, we're moving through these topics very quickly, and I'm kind of glad about that. Um, I know, it's so, Joy Lauren Adams, man. It's I'll, like, I'll, while you're looking up your stuff I on your phone, her. I'll pipe in. So the big, which I referenced at the top, is like the big Brody move of the the hand in the ass and then shaking <laughs> the stink palm yeah like first of all they let they let jason lee dig around in his butt for like a full minute yeah and while we're talking about things that you could cut from the movie and lose nothing like this is just a gross out gag it is especially since they cut the michael rooker licking his finger like close up <laughs> now that that's only done to extend a scene where it's very early broadcast that uh Svenning has ts come talk to him again after telling him to get off his set uh, only to set him up so he could have him tossed out of the mall. 
Yeah. It, and again, in that scene, it's early setup. You see them, you know, you see the camera cut over to where security guards are suddenly standing. He's like, oh, he's going to grab him and throw him out the mall. They extend it with Brody coming up and pulling the stink palm on him. Yeah. Like, oh. um, it was really nice of those security guards to just stand there and wait and watch <laughs> Svenning uh, eat some chocolate-covered pretzels. Can I point I out, I, at no point do they establish, well, one, they establish that it's impossible to get that smell off your hand for a couple days. Two, that is also the same hand he shakes hands with Stan Lee with later. Mm. I'm just gonna. But you have the, I assume that he's washed his hands. Well, yeah, no. but he said. But he yeah. says that stink stays there for a couple days, no uh, matter true what. That. True that. But and on top of that, he also went to the dirt mall. So, yeah, I don't even want to discuss the stink palm. Like, ugh, God. Anyway, <laughs> maybe it's two days later <laughs> when he meets Stanley. <laughs> no, the whole movie takes place over the course of yeah. uh, twelve, hours twelve hours or so, much like Clerks. What is the rest of this family like when you've got Randall, Brody, and then Walt Flanagan? Right, his crazy cousin Walt, who stuck a and, cat up his ass. And what uh, uh, the only one of the only f- genuinely funny things in the entire movie is the story of cousin Walt sticking a cat up his ass. Yeah. Well, how else am I supposed to get the hamster out of there? It's a classic joke. I mean, right. I. I don't, I I found a few more genuinely, but they're they're completely dad jokes for me. So oh, I, I uh, can, point the, of trivia: um, the guy I think it's the guy that T.S. asks who has his head stand, signed by Stan Lee, who's coming out of the comic shop. I think he's I think that's the guy. Um, the real Walt Flanagan. Yes, that is the apparently the real Walt Flanagan. Nice. Yeah, nice. the one he named that the one he because I because I do love the uh, uh, uncomfortable place where in a. Back of a Volkswagen. Okay, okay. <laughs> all right. Let's let's talk about that okay. for a moment. I was gonna just not mention it at all. Um, um, let's talk about the fact that Kevin Smith apparently up to this point had not heard about the fact that jokes are only funny in threes and fives. <laughs> Here, here's the thing about that. That the punchline the first time is awkward at best. It's like, oh, okay, I kind of get it. But he loved that line so much, he made sure everyone said it at the right. at the opportunity. Oh, for any listener, if it's been a long time since you watched the movie or you never have, if you never watched the movie, you're probably very confused by this podcast as a whole because we gave you no context for it whatsoever. And if you watch it because of this podcast, you can't be mad at us. We right. We tried to warn you. There, There's a repeated joke where Ben Affleck's character, again, we're going to have to talk about Ben Affleck in oh, a second. <laughs> um, Shannon has a reputation for seducing women and then getting them to have sex in quote, an uncomfortable place at which whenever he says, Volkswagen beetle. (laughs) Oh, you fuck, you even fucked up the punchline. They say it like 11 times in the movie. Where in the like what? Like the backseat of a Volkswagen. Volkswagen? Yeah. That's the punchline not treated as a punchline in the movie. In the movie, it's treated as this weird fucking non sequitur thought that every single character who get, hears it has see, yeah i don't get i don't get why there wasn't a variation of it every time like a different place right that would have been that would have been funnier like i don't know why everyone had the same singular thought right like why couldn't it have been different for every person who hears it like he likes to have sex with them in an uncomfortable place okay the first person what like the backseat of a volkswagen a second person he likes to have sex with them in an uncomfortable place like what at somebody's funeral it just if everyone throws out something else an uncomfortable place then the joke is funny when 
10 characters all say the exact same punchline. What, like the bol- backseat of a Volkswagen? Oh. I, when, when You're Gil getting Hicks, me riled up here, guys. When Gil Hicks says it, the, I, I had a payoff. So because, because you mm-hmm. know, he's Dante's cousin, right? Um, uh, or br- brother, right? Brother, yeah. I think. I, I, um, I thought it was cousin too, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's the perfect segue to our next talk. It would be the perfect segue if I hadn't... Rem- Go ahead. I, I just... Oh, I lost it. I'm sorry. It's That's all right. So we have to take a minute here real quick to talk about, like I said, the Ben Affleck of it all, because this is the start of three movies in a row. Actually, is he in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back? He is. He, he, is. he, he is as his character from Chasing Amy. Okay. So four movies back to back in which, um, yeah, no, I'm sorry. Three movies back to back in which. God damn. Okay, it is four that he appears yep. in as different characters. So in this, he is Shannon, Renee's new boyfriend. And the manager of Fashionable Male. Yes. <laughs> then in Chasing Amy, he is the one of the lead protagonists. In Dogma, he's one of the villains, mm-hmm. uh, one of the rogue angels. And then he reappears as his Chasing Amy character in uh, Jay and Jansson Silent Bob, Bob Strike And Back. does a cameo in Clerks 2. Is he in Clerks 2? Yeah. yeah. In the uh, beginning, Mantel. he... When uh, when Dante and his fiance are making out on the counter, he's the he's the customer who comes up. Wow! So actually, that means that starting with Mallrats, Ben Affleck has been in every View Askew movie, aside close. from Clerks. Yeah, uh, close to. Uh, I I don't know if he was in the reboot. Probably. He is in. He's in reboot. He's in reboot. Yeah, he okay. is. Because he's in. Yeah, everyone. Him but and Lauren Adams are the are the um, Dana Ma, I guess, because it's after the climax. But. Uh, um, they have a great moment, uh, okay. chasing Amy moment at the end. No of, spoilers. I haven't seen it yet. Of, uh, yeah. It's great. I so, yeah, it. we had to discuss Ben Affleck and how confusing it's going to be when we move on to the next movie and he is not playing <laughs> Shannon. And then when we move on to the next movie and he is not playing either of his previous characters. I think in Clerks 2, he was supposed to cameo as his character from Chasing Amy, but he was filming something at the time and it required him to have a, hand, uh, a mustache mm-hmm. that he couldn't shave. So... That makes sense. Yeah. So our actual next discussion topic is the connections to Clerks. Because as I mentioned, it takes place the day before. And and if you watched Clerks and you remember the funeral that Dante and Randall go to, which ends with them knocking over the <laughs> casket and having to flee. Which if you can see the animated version of the lost scene, go watch it. Yeah. Uh, it turns out, well, and it, they say the name of, in Clerks, they are going to the funeral of a poor young woman named Julie Dwyer, who we find out at the beginning of Mallrats. The reason that she had the embolism in a swimming pool is because T.S. made the mistake of telling her that the camera adds 10 pounds. And Julie, feeling fat shamed, went to the local Y and started swimming laps until she dropped dead like 600 or close to 700 laps i remember what lap number she said she was on mm-hmm. so that is the first and most obvious connection is and so ts wasn't just insensitive about julie's death he may have been oh he pretty much caused it indirectly he was, responsible no and and that's why what i think um what's her face was so angry about true but to his to, to in fairness to him it was just an offhand. He didn't know about her her issues or their weight. Yeah, he just threw out an offhand comment. Oh, you know, the camera adds ten pounds. He's just well. There's also the unfortunate implications of the fact that uh, 
probably the next day, the day in which Clerks occurs, T.S. and Brandy are on their way to Florida yeah. and not going to Julie's yeah. funeral. Because <laughs> it happened the night before Mallrats takes place. Uh-huh. The, when she dies. Uh, so there's that. And then, of course, the other most obvious one is the inclusion of the character Gil Hicks, played by Brian O'Halloran, the same character who, or the same actor who played Dante Hicks in Clerks, supposedly Cousins identical cousins <laughs> which i guess that's a thing because fuck you that's why no they're just playing off but, the idea um, that like people in their family just but the them. cousin not dante but uh gill gill has a worse mullet <laughs> he has yeah. like a mullet yeah and it, this is not in fact the last time that brian o'halloran will appear as a hicks cousin but that will come later but and uh, at one point there's also an offhand mention i think from gwen about the character of rick darris Yes. yes. Who was in Clerks. Yes. In Clerks. He is. Rick is the uh, asshole, like, bodybuilder. Yeah. The one who shames Dante for being out of shape. And who basically admits to having slept with Caitlin while they were dating. Yes. That's like who Caitlin gave oral to, right? That didn't really count as cheating, right? Is no, no, no. That, no that was afterwards, You're right? thinking the, of Veronica. The, Veronica, yes. Caitlin was the... I, uh, Caitlin was the... Uh, Veronica yeah. was the, the um, muttering guy, the uh, insane guy, right? Willem. Uh, not Willem, Willem but... Uh, 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 yeah, it was Willem. Snow, snowball. Snowball. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, like that's it, uh, weird because... There's a character in this movie Willem. also named yes. Willem. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't make that connection until just now. That's that was, My brain knew it, but I didn't... Uh, well, gosh. my first thought when we watched this again was, are they supposed to be the same character? Because I it's don't impl- think so. Uh, it's implied in Clerks. I want to say this in a way that's not insensitive, but... Um, that the Willem in Clerks, a.k.a. Snowball, is brain damaged in some way? or con- Kind of, but he's in college. <laughs> yeah, it just makes the whole thing weirder. Whereas the Willem in Mallrats is played by Ethan Suplee, whose <laughs> biggest crisis is that he can't see the fucking boat in the magic eye thing. Oh, it's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> No, oh. it's a boat, you stupid, stupid. moron. <laughs> And he called him a bastard. <laughs> yeah, you stupid bastard. Um, who, who hasn't wanted to call a child a bastard? And I, to, well, well, I, I love that whole sequence. The, I liked it. It was a nice, Ethan's fun approach. little gag to cut to every once in a yeah. while. Um, also, what's weird about that is I don't think they're meant to be the same character because the Willem played by Ethan Suplee, aside, aside from being Ethan Suplee, is is uh, he, he's got... He's got a work shirt on, like like a name patch work shirt. Like he looks like he works at like a mechanic or something like that, like a service shirt. He's stained all the heck. So he looks more working class than yeah. it's implied that Willem from Clerks is. Yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Kevin Smith just loves the name Willem. I guess. Um, but yeah, did you guys catch any, and oh, of course, obviously we already mentioned the fact that Randall and Brody are cousins and cause they share the cousin Walt who mm-hmm. all kinds of bad shit happens to him constantly. Who apparently beat off on a plane. Uh, I was going to say then, yeah, we get, we get two cousin Walter stories in this movie, which Gil Hicks has the weirdest reaction to. Oh God. I won't, I won't say it on this podcast. I won't, I won't either. Just we'll go. Oh. He just wants to know if there's a resolution. To all the right. Story. He wants to know if there was a climax to the story. Yeah, kind of. All right, so revisiting a topic from our Clerks episode, our penultimate topic, um, what was the most 90s thing about this movie? Was it the fact that malls still exist? (laughs) That the mall was the king of the social gathering spots, honestly. Was it the fashion? Was it the casual homophobia? 
Oh my god, that was like the crux of of Ben Affleck's uh, character's storyline. Yeah, or the resolution to it as well. You know, the okay. unfortunate implications. Yeah. yeah. What gets me? Part of what gets me is like there there is some blatant homophobia in the movie, but then I th- I feel like Smith tried and failed to balance it out by having Brody accuse someone of being homophobic. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been Gil Hicks. I can't remember. Yeah. So is it malls? Is it fashion? Is it homophobia? Is it the comic books at the beginning? Stan, what's the most 90s thing about the movie? Uh, he's supposed to be the highlight of male fashion, right? But Shannon's suit was oh, so 90s horrible. It was. It, it was, was so baggy. Really awful. Bad. I mean, even for, and Ben was thick then, and mm-hmm. this was too too big for him big. yeah so it's like it's like i it totally was david burnesque it, it was and i and i totally realized what you guys have been trying to tell me for decades you wear know, clothes that fit you wear clothes that fit me <laughs> mm-hmm. and so now i'm wearing smalls and you know slim fit shit and where i used to wear where i would buy large shirts mm-hmm. for myself and i didn't think i looked that bad but now after seeing you know pretty thick ben and a suit that just was horrible and 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 that's that's you know budget i guess but i guess he got he should have had a budget for costumes <laughs> it's like somebody designed i think it was on purpose because he's supposed to be this and 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 uh 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 brody says talks about it he's like you know he's supposed to be this you know this pillar of male fashion but he's really just you know a slob in a bad suit, you know, and it's like, and then we get the whole, um, uh, uh, oh my God, I can't, uh, jailbait stuff, you know, and it's like, a, oh, so that, yeah, might that's be, right. that might be I, the that's, most you. 90s. Well, is, well, let's, is, we're going to hold that. That's part of the next, the last topic we're oh, going to discuss. Boy. We'll, we'll get to that. But I would say the, um, we'll, we'll go the ahead and bad the- 90s suits. And, and and I was there for that, you know, so it just like, a, I totally know that. As a general note, I'm, a, I'm aware that, you know, fashion is a constantly evolving thing. But unless you are like a legit male model, don't wear a T-shirt with a suit. You just don't do it. Well, yeah, well, if you're well, Don Johnson, maybe then. But Not even if you're Don Johnson. <laughs> Miami Vice worked. The 80s were over by this point. <laughs> yeah, no, don't don't wear a T-shirt with a suit. It just looks ridiculous. But, but I, I'm assuming that it was also kind of practical because he was able to fight in that suit. So yeah. it was probably practical more than well, it David was. David was the style at the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, like you said, I'm giving the devil advocacy to this. But, but I, it's like you have Ben Affleck in your movie and you're just like, he's the and i'm and i'm thinking you know uh kevin smith costuming himself as as silent bob is not the best costuming in the world but it works for silent bob those were his clothes and those were his clothes i've seen how he normally i can't believe those were ben's clothes you know it's like you you could make shannon presentable so we get that revelation at the end and it's even more impactful if he's looking decent early on you know so but but i but no having worked in a mall in the 90s um i spent a lot of time in the mall and even when i was going to buy suits they weren't that horrible you know i I mean yes i bought stuff at chess king and stuff like that you know but that is just typical bad 
you know, yeah, bad stuff uh, disguised as great fashion. Sure, and it, sure. It, it's like it's a it's what it's what people that say they know fashion but really don't mm-hmm. know fashion. They say, oh, this is what should take off you know also what an unfortunately one no role for uh, ben affleck because i pulled up his imdb to look at he had not done a whole lot of big stuff before this mostly the only big one is dazed and confused but yeah what uh, what a one note character like he only exists to be an asshole and then you get goodwill and, and then after that yeah uh he was in Chasing Amy and Goodwill Hunting back yeah. to back yeah chris uh, what a good year then <laughs> what uh, what was the most 90s thing about the movie um, the VCR. Well, yeah, the oh. VCR. No, oh, yeah, I didn't mention like the Sega Genesis. Yeah, the Sega, Sega Genesis. I mean, technology, of course. Especially, I think that that was always going to be a pro. That's always going to be a problem looking back at movies from the '90s because, mm-hmm. if nothing else, the rate at which yeah. technology advanced in the '90s alone mm-hmm. is always just going to be like dated from year to year almost. Yeah. Um, I. It's, I mean, this this movie is pretty much a time capsule of the 90s. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking a lot of it was to allow Kevin Smith to allow himself to be able to do Return of the Jedi stuff. You know, it's like, so with the VCR, he could do his Jedi mind trick stuff, you know. Yeah, and, can and I tell you? That, to keep that fandom going, you know. Can I just tell you how much, as a... a hardcore star wars nerd it bothers me that him trying to move the cigarette <laughs> in his hand is constantly referred to as a jedi mind trick it's not which a jedi mind trick is like convince you know putting an idea in somebody's head or con- making them do something that's moving a cigarette in your hand is just known as telekinesis right something but, jedis could do but, but so somebody, what? somebody that somebody like jay you know, would call it a Jedi mind trick. At sure. That, at that, especially at they that They just time. had to get it across to everyone else. He's he's referencing Star Wars. He's yeah, referencing right. Star Wars. That's the yeah. only thing. That's that was because if you why you know Silent Bob is totally serious and committed to it. Right. So he would probably not call it a Jedi mind trick. But Jay and his wisdom of you know wisdom. ultimate stoner guy is only going to see that surface level of you know it's a trick. You know, he's not going to see the philosophy behind the force of it. Oh, my God. Um, Yeah, I'm going to have... The force or the force? Oh, God. Yeah, I'm going to have to go uh, with the mall on this one. I think in a meta sense, the 90s thing is the super happy ending everybody got. Yeah, that's one of them. Where Brody Brody is thought to be so hilarious, he becomes the host of The Tonight Show. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what the fuck is that? I mean, honestly, I, I mean, if I, they should have toned it back. It's like, hey, he gets a talk show, not the Tonight Show, right? There's nothing that was demonstrated in that in that uh, uh, the the dating show thing yeah. where that they crashed, where it made it feel to me like, oh, he's super funny. He if, was funny, but if anything, those TV executives should have looked at him and been like, well, you're never fucking getting on any kind of game show ever again after the things that you said. But you, but you seem kind of, but but you have, but they they should have been like that, but and then been like, but there's something there when they give him a talk show. Right, I could have gone or with something. that. I could, yeah, or never, or you're banned from whatever network we represent forever. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But to me personally, the most '90s thing, just the fact that it's set in a fucking mall. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, 
so wanted zombies to take it over. <laughs> uh, or for uh, Paul Blart to show up. It, Paul Blart, That's the only way you can make wa- it worse. I mean, worse. watching it all happen did bring back memories of the mall for me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. The mall Just, used to be a magical yeah. place to go to. And it was. And you had, a, you had a schedule or an agenda. Because yeah. early on when I was younger, it was like, okay, you can go look around at the mall. But you have to be back by a certain amount of time. And then technology advanced. And then suddenly you, you had a cell phone or you had some way of being like, okay, meet, you know, then you had a, then you were able to look around and run around more and you had the you had the stores you had to hit. <laughs> yeah. And for me, like <clears throat> growing up in such a rural area where I grew up, we were 20 minutes away from anything, you know, the closest mm-hmm. movie theater, the closest grocery store, the closest mall where I grew up was 45 minutes away. So if we were going to the mall, that was a special trip. And we yeah. were going out there with a purpose. Uh, malls. All right. It was also the last place uh, I, I had, uh, I was able to find an arcade and then it finally went away. I wasn't sure where that story was going. <laughs> it was the last place you could get hot Sam's, the pretzel they st- also wasn't sure where that sentence was going. <laughs> well, they still have the Auntie, was it Auntie Annie's or something like but that? But it's not the same. You no, know, This was not? like the little teeny tiny kiosk built I into see. the wall, and it was just the stove and the counter. And and uh, so it wasn't like, you know, a counter full of, you know, treats in the front. No, it was just, but you could get your pretzels, man, your hot pretzels. It was just a stove in the wall? <laughs> well, I mean, it was built into. It, it was, was like, a stove and built into a a person. A who vagrant would, built a stove into a wall. And no, so you just, you no. Just and the unfortunate stuff. employee just, who was there making your no, pretzel fucking lives there? And it, usually the, and just put it was a sign usually, up so no one was And the bathroom anything. was like right next door, you know, so it's like if, well, if you had a battery still action, exists. What yeah, fucking dude, architect <laughs> designed this monstrosity you're gonna put a it's not a stove it's like, you're gonna put a stove awesome. in the wall for pretzels right next to the bathrooms <laughs> it, 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 the stove wasn't in the wall it was like you know it was like well then make up your fucking mind was the stove in the wall or wasn't it <laughs> but yeah yes, were elves making the pretzels maybe yeah like what fucking mall did you go to genesee valley center i can't Flint can't Township. make fun of him for being old because we're all old in this scenario and it sucks. Unfortunately, and, and I was all my t- mall time was spent before cell phones mm-hmm. came out. So it was like I never had the cell phone, you know, where you could. But because like I ended up, you know, I was early late teens, early twenties. Yeah, you know, it was my peak time, and it's like so. It's like I was working. I worked at Record Town and Tape World and Stove Repair. <laughs> No, <laughs> that was actual an actual no. store, by the way. The stoves were repaired by Pixies. Yeah, <laughs> shut the fuck up, motherfuckers! <laughs> you guys are fun. <laughs> All right, so our last topic of discussion that's not stoves and walls. <laughs> Why not? Is oh my god, <laughs> what is the most controversial thing about the Oh, there's movie. a list of this, and it's disturbing. Um, we already talked briefly about the casual homophobia of some of the characters, but Stan mentioned it briefly. Let's uh, talk about the unfortunate implications. It was a major subplot. It's yeah, a, this major, is a major subplot, subplot of the film. Uh, and it, and it, and it is in, it's pertinent to the climax of the movie. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> yes, you are correct. And that wasn't several, a proud laugh. <laughs> you are correct in several senses. One of the characters in this movie, one of the first they meet when they get to the mall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the characters is a fifteen-year-old girl who has sex with older men and collects the data for a 
book that she is writing. Well, we should we should point out that fourteen to thirty. So not necessarily they don't. You know, it's it's to should sorry. should point out she's set up to be a genius girl who has right. uh, skipped grades all the way. She's a senior at the high school, mm-hmm. but she's fifteen. Uh, all of the important adults in her life are letting her do this research product project yeah. where she, I, uh, and, and again, you know, Smith tries to, to cover his bases or she's taking the utmost protection. She's well, she's also recording every she, single encounter with their permission and her parents which, know about it. So which, that's okay. No, it's not, because I should point out, that's still a crime. It's still statutory rape, no matter which way you look at it's it. It's still I don't a know, crime. I don't know what the age of consent is in New Jersey, Jersey but that. I can guarantee it's not 15. 17. And even if it was, like, holy shit. How, oh, the implications of this subplot. And also the fact that nobody seems to mind fucking a 15-year-old until... Everyone takes until that so blasé. Until it is relevant to the plot right. that this is the reason that uh, Shannon, uh, Ben Affleck's character ends up going to jail. Like, that's his comeuppance. But is it? I just, like, want, I just want to point out that uh, I have once again sullied my search history for you. The age of consent in New Jersey is 16. So she cannot legally consent. No. And it doesn't matter if the guys she is fucking consent to be Those waivers filmed. don't hold up in court. Right. If they consent to being filmed, if they consent to being in a book, it doesn't matter. She's still underage. What the hell was Kevin Smith thinking with this subplot? Like, is it so but the, outrageous? I don't think they know her age, though. They do. They Be, think she's because 15. He, he'd, uh, she t- Shannon, she's Shannon d- didn't know she was 15. Oh, of course he's going to say that when he's getting arrested. He at, at the end of the film, when he's getting arrested, he says, oh, I thought she was 18. Of course they're, they're going to say that. Uh, but it is not a secret among any of these characters. The only person, if I recall correctly, that... Seemed to be the least bit bothered by it was Jay and Silent Bob. Yeah. Yes. Are we really so far removed? Twenty six years later, you know, this came out in ninety five. That like in ninety five was this not a big deal? Well, how did you when you, when you saw it at sixteen? How how was your reaction then? Or did, was that something that just went? Uh, yeah, I was 16 years old. It just went right and, over and, my and, head. And again, that's that is it, it is it is if you're not paying purpose. close attention, yeah. easy to miss that she says she's 15. It's like because she. Looks, I don't even she, think it's easy to miss. Like well, it's it's an established it, part of her character. Well, I think what helps you forget it is that she's, the actress who's playing her looks way older. Yeah, she does. But also to your point, Stan, like to a 16 year old boy, any mention oh, of yeah. sex is just that, that's sex. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So it's like the movie was geared. And so it's like I'm 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 sure that wasn't the main. Now it would be because we yeah you know, well, it, it also, would be a very very can, much contemplation put can, to it. Can I also point it, out but. the epilogue states that this book that is essentially like a research project or like a thesis yeah, that someone's writes uh, has a movie of about it scheduled yeah. to come out. <laughs> Who the hell is going to watch that movie? Um, the Academy. Oh, unfortunately. It's all up over on YouTube. (laughs) Uh, It's unfortunate. I thought he would be older than this, but it's not like this is actually going to be a saving grace or anything. Kevin Smith was 25 when uh, 
when Mallrats came out, that's not much better. I I, I thought that he was around I mean, my age in his or in his thirties, but st- it kind it kind of explains. It also kind of explains how his storytelling matures as he gets older. Yeah, it really does. Like the fact that Kevin Smith was in his early twenties when he wrote this, and twenty. I'm assuming he was probably 24, 25 when he was directing it. Mm-hmm. Suddenly that explains a lot about the humor of the film. Um, but yeah, I mean, is there anything in the film that you guys found more controversial than the 15 year old fucking older guys? That was the most controversial. That's the most hardcore. And I mean, even for me, and you know, I, I be very careful about where you go with the sentence. You know, I, um, it's hard to shake. And champ, well, that I'm disturbed by uh, stuff. Um, uh, but this is what a weird non-statement that was. But but you, know, you guys know that, that I'm that, disturbed by stuff. No, no, that I'm not. Yeah. disturbed by things. But this would be one of the things that what you know. And and again, like you, when I first saw it, I didn't remember it when I saw it this time. This the second go through, and it's like. Oh fuck! I forgot about that. But because it, at that time I saw it the first time, it wasn't really registering to me. And this might have this one might have only been ten, fifteen years ago since the last time I saw it. So it's like I was even further along in it than you were, you know. And it's like, um, but I'm like, ooh, wow, that. And for it to be such an integral part of the plot, oh, yeah. And te- and, yeah, I was about and to say dealt with so much, and it's not like a couple of things that were just oh, you know, because I'm my next thing is that you know the hand in the ass stuff and the and stink palm would have been the next worst thing, but that wasn't even dealt with as long as this was. This was no, this was central to the movie, and it's like okay. Did it get released with that? Because all right, watch that hand kung fu grip. <laughs> no, I, I, that's why I'm using my palm on the edge here. Um, did it get re- because it seemed like it would seem like that wouldn't have made it through like any MPAA boards? Or uh, apparently, it did. Yeah. I mean, this got a wide release. And, that's and, the weird thing is like <clears throat> the studio was was okay with that. Yeah, it had a famously. Would... It was the exact opposite uh, budget to. Uh, Box office wise, it was the opposite of Clerks, which had a twenty-seven thousand dollar budget and made millions. This was made on six million dollars and made two and a half. You know, and so the the fact, but but it's so pertinent to the plot and to the resolution of the movie that it's the like, fact that this plays wow. to an audience that was there for a dating show, like that tape plays. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, and, much and like it, Jay and Silent Bob, and much like Gwen, you could cut this whole storyline from the movie and not lose anything. But it actually it it it's the resolution for right. Shannon's character before he can beat up Brody. He is arrested by the cops. And that was the crux of Brody's plan. Let's air this tape of a 15 year old having sex in front of an audience full of people. I get that he wanted to give Shannon a public comeuppance, but there had to have been some other plot he could have lit upon than that right like i don't know maybe if, instead of that one of jay and silent bomb's wacky schemes actually works for once yeah I mean, literally anything else it, it it was and and for the it and it was probably unfortunately it was probably the most realistic part of this movie uh, and and that's really hard for me and that's why i, I think i was more, more more disturbed by it you know is because 
it was actually the real moment, the real thing in this whole movie, which was totally, you know, like Chris was saying that it was that 90s, you know, happy ending, 90s happy ending stuff, you know, it's like. That was for a, everybody but Shannon. For everybody but who Shannon. Who is implied to be raped in prison. Yes. yes. <clears throat> and um, uh, so it just made it more disturbing. And, and the fact that when the people saw it, it wasn't that intense of a reaction. Oh, it was that stock to, audience gasp. Yeah. yeah. And like, like they knew it already, that it already happened. And it's like, oh, somebody was brave enough to show well, Shannon doing this. That's well, like, with the uh, with the way that everyone talks about it, apparently everyone in this town but Renee knows that uh, he is essentially, you know, a serial rapist. Right. And... <laughs> Also, apparently, everyone just knows that there's a 15-year-old going around having sex with random <laughs> yeah. men and writing about um, it. I, you know, I guarantee well, the, somebody. The, it's the gag of news traveling fast because uh, because they 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 do that a few times. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, well, then how did you miss it? Um, right. I, and so the only thing I can even give it as a redeeming place in the movie is that it, it does provide Shannon's comeuppance. You know, and it does provide a way to get and 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 his, for, like we already for, said, to, his comeuppance itself is also the the unfortunate implications there. Yeah, but but what he's the one getting the uncomfortable place. Oh, not, right, I'm right. Not, it's supposed to be so, ironic. And yeah, I'm and not it's excusing like, it, but I will say. I, I get that a 25-year-old's idea of doing some shock comedy and, and irony would probably be this. I, I get that. The closest thing the film has to an antagonist being sexually assaulted right. in prison. I'm sure that was hilarious in 1995. <laughs> well, it was just, again, that's just some of the horrifying things you can get away with in a comedy because it's comeuppance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's like that whole plot thread and idea is horrifying in any other movie, but comedies and 90 comedy, 90s comedies were very and particularly bad about this. They could they would put stuff in there with horrifying implications and just write it off as a joke. Mm-hmm. And, and what, man, and I apologize for harping on it, but the, what made it more dis- is that it was actually well-performed. The, the actor that plays what's her face and, and the whole discussion. I was wondering the, again, what in the fuck you oh, were talking no, about for a second. Well, the, and, the, and, the idea that, he actually spent time with the emotional content of it and with the well, yeah, and 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 working with the actor you know it's like the lines were delivered well you know it's it, in the w- scene she's introduced she shows off her coding system yeah. for how she's for what guys do and, when they and see I don't her. know the actor I don't know the actor I don't know if she's gone on to do it but she's really good in the scene and and she, every moment she's in I mean I mean it, she does well it, it it's a it's a different movie when she's in the in the in the scenes, um, it's like she was doing a different movie than the rest of the folks. Were. Right, but her what, plot is what, a terrifying indie movie. <laughs> her plot is a terrifying a indie point. movie. And but the thing is, whenever she was in a scene with with anybody else, it raised their game too. It just seemed like it it it, it was dealt with more than the rest of the movie was, and so it's like. That even makes it more intense. And so it's like, this is like, is this what the movie was about? <laughs> I, I like, you we've know, already discussed, I couldn't a, tell you what the hell the movie's about. I mean, she had to be on her game to be able to get through something that crass. Exactly. And and, yeah. and she sold it. And, and, the, and the thing is, is that 
wow, okay, this this plot line is in Mallrats. That would have it probably it's so fucking out of plot, place. Yeah, exactly. You remember it the, the be classic nineties comedy about you know people <laughs> hanging around a mall. This oh, is also a, this, this is a red state dude plot. is fucking all these dudes. This is a red state plot, plot line, and red state is not even a view askew movie. No, not technically. All right. Well, I mean, I mean the the, the um, epilogue for Shannon was going to be my next most controversial thing because that, that's like all, those things are intertwined and they're all horrible. Yeah, the '90s were a weird and terrifying time, everybody. <laughs> I think I think the other thing that's terrible is this is uh well Gwen who uh, who who's there throughout the movie um and joey lauren adams's character yeah yeah um she also serves as the, the another female in a as part of the plot who is just decidedly um per, just horrifically promiscuous like, oh yeah yeah i mean she's treated in much the same way that uh caitlin is yeah it's alternately like Look at her because of she's celebrating her sexual freedom and also at the same time, like, wow, look at this slut for having sex with so many guys. Like, she's in t- I think she's intended to come. Ac- I don't think she was ever really meant to be shamed for it, more like come across as a free spirit. But the comparisons to how flighty she is really kind of make her, I mean, just made me mentally start comparing her to Caitlin a little bit. Yeah. And she- I mean, I think this is a part of the larger conversation we had about had Kevin Smith ever met a woman, because mm-hmm. it really does fall into that trope of they're either good girls like Brandy who are naive and innocent or they're promiscuous sluts. Well, then there's also a Renee who is on the good girl's side and is kind of a doormat. I mean, up until the point she breaks up with Brody. Yeah. Kevin Smith doesn't know how to write women is the larger point there. I, I, I don't know. It's like, it's like I stand devil's advocate Lee. No, no. I, I think, I think there is a celebratory and it's like, I'm, it, she never, she, Gwen never takes on that mantle of slut shamed. No, no, and, no. And I, she doesn't see herself as a slut. She sees herself as yes, sexually free. And, and, and I, and but I, you can't and, have a movie that I'm treats not, her as both. Like you, you gotta, you gotta pick a. But but see, there's gonna be the outside. She doesn't treat herself as both. She sees herself as a person that just happens to like to have sex. Right, but when the punchline of the movie, when the punchline of the character is, look how many dudes she's had sex with. Like that's not a good stereotype to perpetuate. Agreed, but then and that's why I'm saying. But when she goes to, um, uh. Brandy, Brandy she, her she dispels all that because now she she becomes that voice of reason that you were giving to uh, Veronica. You know, she becomes Veronica in that sense, and because everything she says is totally reasoned. You know, it's like she knows she's seen as this you know promiscuous slut. She realizes that, but that's that's not in her vocabulary. You know, she she's like right. It's just I think in my opinion it's so largely unnecessary, especially since Kevin Smith had already sort of covered that covered with that Caitlin and Clerks, yeah. in which her being a serial cheater was a very serious character flaw for her and the and what made Dante always wanting to go back to her such a frustrating character flaw for him. So if you're going to treat that kind of if you're going to treat promiscuity as a character flaw for the purposes of of a, of a storytelling moment between characters, that's one thing. When you're going to treat it as a joke, 
I feel like it just doesn't land. I think, or it doesn't land in now in 2021 the way that it would have in 1995. I think she was, in my head at least, I think she was meant to be representative of like a more mature version of what Caitlin was. Yes, who had matured past that kind of thinking and actions. But there was definitely no, there was no time. What Caitlin up. could have become if she didn't have sex with a dead guy and go catch Tom. Yeah, sure. Yes. Um, and, and 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 I I I will condition is that he he improves on that Joy Lauren oh. Adams character on that Gwen character with her oh. character in Chasing Amy. So yeah, it, and which will yeah. Sure I, I we'll just think the problem was there was no way they had the time to devote to showing no, that better. No. Agree. And and, and and so that's why Chasing Amy will. That will be seen as a better movie. <laughs> well, and that's really what I'm going to be interested to see here is going back on my Kevin Smith Odyssey now as an adult and not a 16 year old, um, seeing how much my opinion of Chasing Amy changes now, having not seen it in so long. But I guess we're going to have to talk about that next month in March when we get to that film. So between. Now and then, we've got another episode of This is a Work coming out next week. What is this, Elimination Chamber, Chris? Yes. Yeah, we've got Elimination Chamber coming up. Or what I should call the, uh, the WrestleMania pre-show. Basically, yeah. So that's coming up. The pay-per-view is on... Um, is it even really worth calling them a pay-per-view anymore? It's just... It's the terminology that's stuck because of that's how it started. It's the... I don't know. The big monthly event. I don't yeah. Know. It's the monthly thing for WWE. <laughs> since it's, it's on... The I mean, since you don't... Because you don't really pay for it anymore. You pay for the network and you get the pay-per-view. Yeah. So that's going to be the 21st... Uh, Sunday the 21st. That's Elimination Chamber. So that episode of This is a Work will be coming out uh, sometime next week. And then in early March, we're going to have an off-topic episode, which we actually didn't do this month, of Long Walk Talks, along with probably another Long Walk Teeny Talk featuring uh, my wife and co-host, Katie Bearden. And um, then coming up in March is going to be WrestleMania, both nights of it again. God, they're doing two nights again. Yes, they are. So, Stan, I always bring it up anyway just because it's funny, but uh, you're not on social media or at least where people can follow you. I, I'm, I'm around Facebook. What the fuck, man? <laughs> if you want to go searching for a Stan Lee on <laughs> Facebook, I'm the Stan Lee now. Good luck. So. Um, Chris, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they do that at? Or if they want to reach out to you on social media, where's uh, the best place to do that? Well, um... Like anyone else, uh, when I want a good argument, I go on Twitter. Uh, you can reach me there at Chris the OK. All right. And if you want to follow me online, you can do that on Instagram at DB Hensley. Uh, if you want to find out more information about Long Walk Productions, you can do that by going online and visiting longwalk.us. On Facebook, you can search for Long Walk Productions and Long Walk Podcasts to give us a like and a follow to keep up with us there. If you'd like to see more of our original content or hear a backlog of our older episodes of all the shows that are available on Long Walk Podcasts, you can follow those YouTube links in the show notes of this episode. And as always, if you enjoy the show, please make sure to give us a rating and a review on whatever platform you are listening on. So thank you very much for listening. Peace.